This morning's sermon text comes from Proverbs 3, verses 1 through 12. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life, and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves, as a father the son in whom he delights. The grass withers, and the flower, and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Please sit. We've been in Proverbs chapter 3 for the last several weeks together, thinking uh, slowly, meditatively through this uh, text of Scripture, and uh, we've learned already a tremendous amount from these, these verses, and I believe the Lord has even more in store for us today as we look at verses 5 to 8 and really center primarily our time in uh, verses uh, 5 to 6. Before we spend time considering this word, let's pray and ask for the Lord's help. Father in heaven, would you now please be mindful of the needs of everyone here in this room. Know our hearts as we come before this word and bring this word by the power of the Holy Spirit into our hearts. For you desire for us to trust in you with all of our heart. And apart from you doing that work within us today, we are at a loss. Indeed, we are incapable, unable to answer the call of which you will call us. Unless you answer it on our behalf by the Spirit now. And so, Lord, here in this a petition of dependence a desire to know you, to trust you, to rest in you, and yet to not know how unless you do it. And so, Lord, hear us and meet us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when I was studying in seminary, it feels like eons ago uh, now, started back in 2003, I had to think about it for a second there too, 2003, beginning seminary, I quickly realized that not only did I need to know the Bible, but I needed to know my own heart uh, to do the work of ministry, and I actually needed to be a good student of, of the hearts in whom I would be called to minister, uh, to know God's uh, people well. And one of the ways to do that is to know yourself and to be, to be honest about yourself and to recognize uh, that you're not so unique, uh, that, that the struggles that you have are the struggles that, that others have, and the truths that you need to be assured by are the, are the truths that others need to be uh, assured by. And so it wasn't 
wasn't long to where I started taking a few counseling courses uh, there at seminary, and then you know, ultimately a whole uh, took the whole curriculum in their in their counseling department in in hopes and desire to be someone who would better understand the struggles and lives of all of us, and even most keenly my own heart. Now, one of the interesting. Um, um, counselors, therapists, psychologists that I had the chance to read was John Gottman. A number of you will uh, know John Gottman. He's uh, actually mentioned in um, Malcolm Gladwell's book, I think it's Outliers, where he mentions him and that he's sort of skyrocketed in popularity over the last handful of years by virtue of the popularity of that book. But uh, Godman's a wonderful uh, student of, of humanity, a wonderful um, student of the, the human condition and the human heart. He wrote a wonderful book called The Science of Trust. Now, there's a lot to be said in The Science of Trust. I won't go into the details of the book, but one of the things that was interesting was in the surveys that he, he took of couples who were dating uh, one another and were asked the question, what is most important about your relationship, your dating relationship? And you might, you know, you might think love would rise to the top or, or, or something like that. But, but what rose to the top was the issue of trust. Uh, trust is what was most important uh, in dating relationships. Um, I need to know that he um, won't cheat. I need to know that she will be there when my life falls apart. Uh, I need to know that he um, won't uh, quit his job and leave us uh, penniless. Um, I need to know that I'm going to gain the support that, that I, know I, I know I need. Uh, life, life has a way of making us feel very vulnerable, very out on a limb. And most of us are actually walking through life in some way, shape, or form asking questions of who can I trust? What situations can I get in to be sure that I make sure that I'm taken care of? Well, that's a heartbeat of the human condition in many ways. And he understood, uh, Gottman understood, that the intimacy of relationship is really built around the nature of trust. He did several ex experiments and then actually ultimately wind up uh, guiding uh, couples into uh, what he called moments of trust. Trust built through small fidelities. Um, we don't think we think of trust as something that that is built, don't we? Something that comes over time. That there's a there's a steady kind of building block nature to it. As people are proven trustworthy, we learn to to trust them uh, increasingly. And it comes in small ways. In the moment where you decide to say no to what it is that you want to do, because you see that the other is in need, and you pause and you ask them how they're doing, and you listen, and then you. You care. And this says to the person, this person is trustworthy. Because they're showing that they care, that they love. In many ways, trust is born from that kind of sacrifice of care and of love. What's true of human relationships in that regard is in some ways very true of our relationship with God himself. When we read the words here in verses 5 and 6, trust in the Lord. With all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding, we're, we're being asked to believe the Lord, that He is worthy of our trust. In fact, it's, it's a wholehearted trust that we're being called into. Even the word trust here is, 
Well, it's, it's a significant one. It's from an Arabic root that literally means to fall down upon one's face. It's in parallel with that language of leaning. Do not lean on your own understanding. What is it that you can trust? What can you, what can you lean on is the question, right? When you're leaning against a wall, you are entrusting yourself to the strength of that wall. You believe that that wall is not going to fall down. If that wall falls down, you're, not going, to, you're going to be skittish to lean against walls in the future. It's, it's going to give you pause. You're going to like touch it first and, right, and not just lean up against it. You're going to want to go through steps to rebuild your trust of the loss of trust of walls that have happened in your life. Building trust is, is very much like that. And the kind of trust that's being described here is not a trust that's reliant upon yourself. You don't lean the weight of your life on your own understanding. But you lean the weight of your life in the whole of your heart. That's what he means, the completeness of yourself on the Lord. That's the instruction here. That's the way of wisdom. Now, before we can really explore the way of wisdom in that regard, we need to ask the question, how can we trust the Lord in that way? It's one thing to say, trust the Lord in that way. It's another thing to, to actually, functionally, in reality, trust the Lord in that way. How can we throw ourselves on the ground, face down, put the entirety of our weight before the Lord and trust is in Him? How is that trust actually built? And I want you to see that in Proverbs chapter 3, you've been learning the building blocks for that trust all along the way. We said week one that, that one of the lead metaphors for wisdom in the Holy Old Testament is the, is the word uh, path or way. And we said path gives direction, it boundaries us so that we know where uh, to go, and it leads to a destination. And each of these couplets actually do that here in, in Proverbs chapter 3. But for each step that we're taking on the path of wisdom throughout Proverbs 3 together, as we've been doing week after week, you're actually creating or establishing the building blocks for trust. Let me, let me explain this. If you look back at Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, we're told, my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commands. We said that the, the word for teaching there is Torah or command. It's speaking to the law of God, his promises, his principles, his stories, his covenants, um, all of what he's revealed about his redemption. Believe that. Trust in the teaching of the word of God. This is the path. But then we said that it's spoken through the church. Notice Solomon says, my teaching my son, do not forget my teaching, but instead give yourself over to or follow my commands. These instructions come through relationship. They come through the, the church. As the word of God is made central in the midst of the people of God, we begin to gain relationships that's vertical with the Lord through the word, but horizontal through his church that become an undergirding of support an undergirding of support. And when we're hearing the Word of God among the people of God, what's it driving us to see most beautifully about God? Well, verses 3 and 4. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. Where does it, what does it lead you to see when you study the Word of God? Where are you led when, as the people of God, you gather together around His Word? You're led to see His steadfast love and faithfulness. 
Now, each of those, if you know the word of God, the revealed promises of his, of his word, you know the support of the church, you're situated in the never-failing love and faithfulness of the Lord. You know what that does? That gives you reasons to trust the Lord. <laughs> it gives you reasons to trust the Lord. You see, each of these verses are building on one another. As you're walking down this path of wisdom, he didn't start with trust in the Lord. He led you to trust in the Lord. He's saying, look at my word. I've been faithful throughout the generations to my people. Look at the church. Look how I have brought the church through thousands of years, <laughs> careening in and out of the ditch, constantly looking like it's about to collapse, and yet outliving all men and nations. And notice that my steadfast love has been poured into the central piece of the word and formed in the conversion and the transformation of God's people in the world in whom I am sanctifying and will one day come back and welcome fullness into my kingdom. As you see all of that, trust me. As we say, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. You see, he's been building this trust. All along the way, he's showing you through his fidelities, through the word and through his people, that trust is born of the path of wisdom that comes from the word, the church, and the never-failing love of God. Now, here's what happens when that trust of the Lord, with the whole of your life, the whole weight of your life, you're giving over to the Lord. If you're doing that, if you're really trusting the Lord, here's what you begin to do you begin to actually entrust things to him. <laughs> okay, there's a tie. You say, well, I really trust in the Lord. I just really live my life mostly trusting in me and my energies, my strength, my resources, my bank accounts, my efforts, my abilities, my gifts. I live frantic, I live stressed, I'm anxious all the time, I'm always overwhelmed, but I trust in the Lord. <laughs> sure. Sure. No, trust in the Lord is evidenced by entrusting things to the Lord. That's how you know whether you are trusting the Lord. Are you entrusting things to the Lord? Isn't that how that works? Businessmen in here who've hired a new employee that you're, you're training and you're crafting and you've got the job description and you're slowly but surely orienting them to their job. And there's always the, the question on the front end, hey, we interviewed, we did the background check, we called your references, we did all that we know. We don't yet know you. I'm going to try to get to know you. And then over the weeks, they show themselves to be good workers and then they, you, they actually go above and beyond the call of duty. Then they surprise you by how quickly they learn and the excellence of the things that they do. And they're even now beginning to anticipate things before you anticipate things to help you. You know what you begin to do? Trust them. And entrust to them. You delegate to them. You give them something and you don't go, hope that goes okay. You give something to them, and it's all of your mind. You're at peace. You're calm because you've put it in good hands. That's how you know that you're trusting the Lord, is when you have cast your cares upon him, and it's all of your mind. The revelation of his love, the steadfastness of his faithfulness throughout the generations, and the continual consistency in, his, in your own life, the way in which he's revealing yourself is bringing you to a place where at the very end of this section we're told, 
It brings healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Wholeness begins to be the fruit of that long trust in the Lord. Now, this is really where Solomon goes. Do you see this in verse 7? He says, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Now, that might not immediately connect in your mind as I read it to what it is we were just saying, trusting in the Lord and entrusting things to the Lord. But when you're trusting the Lord and entrusting things to the Lord, what you learn very quickly is you are not trustworthy to be the caretaker and the holder of your life. That's what you learn. You're not wise in your own eyes. In other words, you don't walk through life with the self-assessment, I've got it figured out. I know what I'm doing. I've arrived. That's not your internal dialogue. Now, I know you'd never say that out loud. Only you know what the voice of your heart actually says as you're walking around. But I'd suggest that that kind of self-talk shows up quite often in our lives of thinking we are wise. Notice that kind of be wise in your own eyes, that sort of I've got it together, I know what to do. Notice how settled that is. Notice how arrived that is. Notice there's no humility in that. Notice there's no curiosity that maybe there are other answers out there that are not in your head. Notice there's no honest and healthy self-doubt. There's trusting in self that's going on there. There's, there's no spirit of growth. I've arrived. I'm wise already. Th- thank you. Thank you for your advice. Already, already know. Save your, save your breath. Give it to them. They probably need it. Many of us functionally operate this way. Be not wise in your own eyes. This definitionally in Proverbs chapter 3 is foolishness. That's foolishness. Now note the fact that that's the spirit of our age. Okay, that's the spirit of our age. You know, really the answers for what's ailing you are inside of you. <laughs> the, the, the gifts and the blessings are inside of you. You, you are enough. You, you, can, you can conquer it. You just put a little bit more elbow grease to it. You do the work. You've got the mental capacity. You've got the gifts to lick everything that's going to come your way. This is the kind of spirit of the age we think. And Proverbs chapter 3 says, that's utter foolishness. When we live long enough, we begin to recognize that if we're honest with ourselves. Because life throws all kinds of things at us that we have no idea what to do uh, with them. And no matter how much energy and strength we give to them, we realize we're in over our heads. And so Solomon says, be not wise in your own eyes. Instead, notice the contrast. Notice the perspective contrast he gives. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Now that's a very interesting parallel. As we learn to trust the Lord and entrust the things to the Lord, where does this, how do we get there? We've got to learn to deconstruct our self-assured, internal, pseudo-wise self. And to realize that we're really fools in great need of help. And the way that happens is not by saying to yourself, you're a fool. He doesn't say, be not wise in your own eyes. Instead, know that you're a fool. Just know that. Just go ahead and settle that in your own mind and heart. Just know that you're a fool. Okay, all right. I know that I'm a fool. That's not what he says, is it? 
And that would actually never work. You know what happened? You'd go, okay, yeah, I am a fool. And then you'd wake up tomorrow morning and go, no, I'm wise. Um, it, would, it would just pop right back in. He knows that. How is it that you can be convinced of your need to trust in the Lord and not yourself? How is that going to happen? Fear the Lord, he says. Fear the Lord. You've got to see something greater than you for that to happen. That's the recipe. Notice, I, there was one time in my life, only once, where I thought I was smart. And then I met smart people. I remember being in a room of smart people. I remember being invited to a conference, to be at a conference. And I realized, you know, oh, wow, I've, I've arrived, right? This, this, is, this is a testimony or a token of arrival. Being here, I'm with the smart people. And by being with the smart people in that room, and I spent a half hour with them, you know, before the lectures began, I realized I don't belong in this room. Someone has made a grave mistake in inviting. I have pulled the wool over somebody's eyes somewhere along the way, and the trick is about to be up. I'm going to stand up and say something. They're going to go, "Why was he? Why was he invited here?" Like all of that, you know, all the fear begins to rise up, right? So wisdom in my own eyes. What happened in that moment was a dose of reality. Of, of welcoming into the spirit of greatness, greater than meanness in that room, did two things. My esteem for those people went up, and it put me in my place. So you can't beat the recognition of foolishness into you. You've got to see greatness and the wisdom. You've got to experience it. And, and that experience is what actually begins to foster uh, wisdom. You know, th this is the irony. I, I heard Tim Keller say this years ago, and I think maybe a sermon on, on Proverbs. I'm working from memory here. I remember him saying something along the lines of, if you think that you're wise, you're definitely a fool. And if you are pretty certain you're a fool, you're on your way to wisdom. You're getting pretty close. That's kind of the point here. Do you see if being in the room of smart people helped me understand where I really was in the pecking order of things? Can you imagine what being in the presence of God might do? That's this idea of the fear of the Lord. Do you remember what happened when Isaiah in Isaiah 6 was in the presence of the Lord in the throne room of heaven and he saw all the glory and the power of God and his train was filling the temple and the seraphim were flying around singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty. The prophet, the smart man, the holy man fell on the ground and said, I'm ruined. He became a fool. Woe is me. I should not be in this room. I should not be in this room. Beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. That's what Proverbs tells us. Fear of the Lord. Be not wise in your own eyes. Humility. Recognize who you are. Come into the presence of the Lord. Now, the fear of the Lord can mean all kinds of different things. In terms of its semantic range, that is its word range and usage in the Old Testament. But the word that really comes to mind to capture the spirit of it here is the word awestruck. Awestruck. You know what it's like to see something glorious or magnificent and to be awestruck by it. 
to recognize its greatness. And in a sense, to be in the presence of greatness sends a shimmer a little down your spine. You recognize that you're in a very important place or with a very important person or seeing and experiencing a very important thing. That sort of awestruckness has a mix in it of recognizing the glory and the power and the wisdom of the Lord tied to his love. Do you know that's where the awestruck comes from? How does that work? Well, I was reminded the story of, of John Newton this week. Slave trader. Worst kind of character of a man that you could imagine. A, a man who gave himself over to all of the, uh, the worst potential or worst acts and sins uh, that we might today, especially uh, in many ways, completely castigate. And this man, by God's sovereign grace, who should be completely eradicated from the presence of the holiness of God, is a man who was radically converted by God's love through tremendous acts of kindness and becomes for us this slave trader, you know, the epitome of what it means to be ungodly, becomes for us the hymn writer of the greatest hymn of which we have sung. For years, over the course of our lives, when we were in the cradle, amazing grace. I'm awestruck by that. The power and the wisdom and the mystery and the love of God that he would turn someone like John Newton into the greatest hymn writer that the world has ever known. His power, the mystery, I would never have chosen that path. I wouldn't have chosen the carpenter and the tax collector. I wouldn't have chosen those foolish fishermen to be the main evangelist through which the church is built. I'm awestruck by that. That's something of the fear of the Lord. I say to myself, when I see the way God is changing the world and redeeming it, be not wise in your own eyes, Nate. That's not how you would do things. God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are past finding out. Oh, the depths of the wisdom of the power of God. How unsearchable are your ways. The person who gets that is on their way to wisdom. Is on their way to wisdom. They're beginning to experience the fear of the Lord. And notice what it does. It turns you away from evil. <laughs> Do you know when you are overcome by the love of God and the mystery and the power and the wisdom of God and a sense of the holy reverence of which we want our minds and our hearts to be constantly aware of as we're walking around in the world, we begin to realize that as we go towards that sin and that thing, to go down that bypath meadow as Christian does in the Pilgrim's Progress, to go down that which is off the narrow way, and we say to ourselves, wait, God is here. And this is not his way. And he is all powerful. And he is just. And he is holy. And he is loving. And he is merciful. And he has saved me. And he has cared for me. And how could I, in the midst of his ways, and in his power, and his knowledge, and his love, do this thing against him? 
You see how the fear of the Lord turns you away from evil? <laughs> begins to turn you away from it. You're reflecting on who he is and what it is that he's done. It's begun to infuse you with a wisdom of knowing the path, turning away from evil. Now, when that happens, as you fear the Lord and it begins to turn you away from evil, notice where he takes us. In all your ways, acknowledge him because he will make your paths straight. Now, what does it mean in all your ways to, to acknowledge him? What, is that, what does that mean practically? Well, I, I want to just really finish our time together with a couple of practicals. As we think through the spirit of wisdom coming from this fear of the Lord, the mystery of God's providence, how it is he works, his love and his power over all things, and he does things so differently than we would do them. Be not wise in your own eyes. He is worthy of our trust. Look at his faithfulness throughout history. Let's trust in the Lord with all our heart, not lean on our own understanding. Let's let all of, our, let's let all of ourselves be in him. He says to us, now in all your ways acknowledge him. Literally to know him in all your ways know him in everything that you do. It's a little like Deuteronomy chapter 6. Do you remember this in the Old Testament when Moses is speaking to the people of Israel and he says to train up children? And in the training of the children, you should train them up when they're laying down and when they rise up and when they walk by the way. And you think, you think to yourself, okay, oh, that's all the time, isn't it? <laughs> right? Yes, all the time in all your ways be going through what it is the Lord has done. Let, let that constant, it's very Deuteronomy 6 being pour, imported here into Proverbs chapter 3. What does it mean to acknowledge the Lord in all your ways? Well, I want to give you just four points on this, four brief points on this. In light of all that we said, what would it mean for you tomorrow in that uh, difficult business decision? What would it mean in that point where you're about to enter a conflict with one of your children? What would it mean in the moment where you just get incredible news of an increase in salary and you are for the first time recognizing that's as much of a temptation as a blessing? What would it mean to acknowledge the Lord in all your ways? What would that mean? Well, number one, it means submitting everything in your life to the Lord's power and authority. That's number one. If you are in all of your ways to acknowledge the Lord, it means that you understand everything that comes into your life is under his power and authority. You're aware of it. You're aware of it. Do you know nothing has ever happened to you that has been outside the scope of God's sovereignty? Nothing. I don't care how good it is. I don't care how bad it is. Nothing in whole of history, nothing in all of God's green earth has happened to you apart from God's sovereignty. Submitting all things in your life to the Lordship, to his power and authority, is number one in learning how to understand, how to acknowledge the Lord in all of your ways. You've got to have a settled conviction that that is true. This is not random. This is not coincidence. This is from the very hand of of the Lord. Now, if that's true, if we're submitting everything in our life to the Lord's power and authority, number two, we need to view everything in life according to the Lord's perspective. We need to view everything in life according to the Lord's perspective. Because for some of you in this room, and I'll be quite honest for my own life, when I say submit everything in your life to the Lord's power and authority, everything He's brought into your life comes directly from His hand. Part of us wants to say, I hope not. 
right? I mean, like, there's some pretty terrible things that have happened all over this room. And if our history is to be known. And we don't want to credit, so to speak, the Lord with that evil or, or, or that, what, that perpetration that was done against us or whatever the situation is. So how are we to view that if he is involved in that? If he oversees that, and how are we to view that? We've got to view it through the Lord's uh, perspective. We've got to, in other words, know what his word says about what he's up to in everything in the world. What is he actually doing? What do we know that the Lord is doing right now? What has he revealed to you about his mission and his plan in the world? When we take up the view of the, of the scriptures themselves, and they are the spectacles, as John Calvin said, the spectacles by which we are to view the world, when we do that, we take up and we see through and we begin to interpret the things which the Lord has done in our lives according to what we know his purposes are. It doesn't mean that every single thing that happens in our life, we get a sweet little bow put on top of it. We're going to have heart-wrenching mysteries that we're not going to figure out. And so we view it from God's perspective, meaning to say from a perspective of faith. I don't know how in the world the Lord is going to redeem eggs, but I trust him with it. I have no idea. I may never see it. My whole life, in a very real sense, might come unglued. I might be undone. And yet even that... I trust the Lord with. I will view it from his perspective. I believe his word. How could we ever do that? Because I've seen how faithful he's been in the past. I know what he's done for me in Christ Jesus. I know what he has shown from page to page throughout scripture and throughout history. He's shown himself in the things in my life that have been so hard. And he's revealed. I can trust him with the things I don't know in this scope in life. I will gain the perspective of his word. And I will hold it in tension until the day in which it will be relieved. In the heavenly places with the Lord. And I will look at everything that's happened in my life as hard as this will be. And I will say he did everything right. He did everything right. Because his ways are not my ways. You understand? His ways are higher than our ways. His ways are past finding out. You're not going to get there. The things which he has revealed to you are for you and your children. The secret things belong to the Lord. They belong to the Lord. Can you trust him? Acknowledging the Lord in all of our ways... We must view everything in life according to the Lord's perspective. And there is some very, very particular things that we can say about even the mysterious things that happen in our lives. We know that God is pursuing his glory. And we know that he is after, in all things, the good of his people and the church. And that he is barreling along in all of history, no matter how bad it looks from your vantage point. He is barreling it towards his appointed end, and there is nothing that can stay his hand. The gates of hell will not prevail. That's perspective. That's not answer of everything you want. That's perspective of what's ultimately true. That's the answer that matters. 
Now, if this is true, number three, we must align everything in our life according to the Lord's purposes. <laughs> if we must submit all these things to the Lord as power and authority, we need to view all these things according to the perspective of the Lord, then we need to align all of the things in our life according to the purposes of the Lord. You know, this is what actually gives you the opportunity. I'll just apply it this way. This gives you the opportunity to take risks. This gives you the opportunity to take risks. You know? To actually volunteer for Serving Group International. Right? Some of you, you heard me give that announcement at the beginning of our time together today, and you were like, yeah, I'm never going to do that. Give no, gave, gave no thought whatsoever. Way outside of what you're comfortable with. But if you believe the promises of the Lord and you are viewing life through his perspective and you want the entirety of your life be aligned to his purposes, maybe you'd give it a second look. Maybe you'd sacrifice to do it. Maybe you'd say no to that next Netflix binge. Don't mean to touch, tap on anybody's toes. In order to go teach someone English that might lead to a gospel opportunity to reveal the love of God. Because you're interested in what? Aligning your life with the purposes of God. That's what you're interested in. You're acknowledging Him in all of your ways, in everything that's going on, and aligning yourself with His purposes. Okay, I'm getting off your toes. Number four, mine too, by the way. Rest in the outcome of everything in life according to the Lord's providence. Rest the outcome of everything in life according to the Lord's providence. Whatever it is, rest in his providence. That's acknowledging him in all your ways. Go and do the thing. View it. Submit it to God's authority. Commit and align your way to his purposes. And then let the chips fall where they may providentially. You know what our tendency is? We're going to go, okay, Nate really, he got me on that SGI, Serving Group International thing today. I'm going to have to email Colleen. And so you're going to go into that first session and you're going to be like, I'm about to change somebody's life. You're a fool. <laughs> Why? Because you're wise in your own eyes. You think you know what he's going to do. You know, the mission might be that you're going to fall flat on your face. That may be his mission for you. Don't forget that as you're on mission, you're a part of his mission, and he's doing work in you. I don't know what he's going to do. That's part of the mystery and the power and the providence of the love of God. I don't know what he's going to do. I'm not in control of that. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. Rest in the outcome of his providence. He's in control. Of what's going to take place. Now what I love about this is the way Solomon puts it. And all your ways acknowledge him. And he will make straight your paths. Right? Or he will make your paths straight. And actually it could be translated either way. It actually could mean uh, either one of those things. But it seems in light of what Solomon is, is after. Meaning to say that if we are acknowledging the Lord in all of our ways 
viewing things through his perspective, submitting them to his authority, aligning them to his purposes, what? Our path gets really clear. Really clear. Things begin to not be so complex. Because so many of the things that we actually do, we could say pretty clearly, are probably not the things that align so clearly with his purposes. There's a clarity or a straightness to the path that begins to be revealed. In fact, I think the spirit here of Proverbs chapter 3 is that as we walk according to the commands of the Lord, we don't veer off into a lot of tracks trying to figure out our way because we're paying attention to his way. We're paying attention to this one. You know, much of, much of life is actually complex because we have so many competing fleshly desires in us. That's why it's complex. When we get close to the Lord and we're trusting in Him and we're submitting our lives to Him and we're viewing it in His perspective and aligning as best as we know how towards His purposes, they're, they're the 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 array of options become less in a number of areas of life. And clarity begins to reveal itself. Oh, well, here's what, here's what the Lord would do. Here it is. Light tends to come. Wisdom is often associated with that notion of light, daily light, as we walk faithfully. That the Lord begins to grant a path that is straightened by His will. I think we would like that, this to say that if I acknowledge him in every way, my life is going to go smooth. It's actually not what he's saying, Proverbs 3. So if you go, okay, this is a recipe to be sure my life will be smooth. <laughs> no, probably, probably not the way to read Solomon chapter 3. You know what Solomon's saying here in Proverbs chapter 3. It's probably better to understand he's going to show you the straightness of his path. And he is going to, as it were, reveal the fact that he's been leading you and guiding you. Those of you who have been in the faith for many years, and you can look back over the decades of life of God's faithfulness and through the zigs and the zags of it, you can see this, this like the Lord escorting you down them all. And what looks like a crooked line is actually a straight path. Because what? He's aligned with his purposes, not yours. Do you know why it looks twisty and turning to you and I? We don't know his purposes. <laughs> it's as straight as an arrow from his purposes, what he's trying to accomplish. And the way to get you there is through the twists and the turns. That's the way. That's just, he always, as the Portuguese proverb uh, tells us, right? We all know our Portuguese proverbs. Um, study them all the time. <laughs> the Lord draws straight lines with crooked sticks, right? And, and that, that reality is, is right here. And he's doing that by his will. Now, let's go out tomorrow and all of us Acknowledge the Lord in all of our ways. I need to say amen because of the time. What a burden that would be. What a burden that would be.
to just go try to do that. Let's, go, let's all go just try to do that. You wouldn't, you wouldn't get to the end of this service without that being the case, you know? Me neither. I want you to see that what is actually happening in this text is a portrait of Jesus. Who is the only one that submitted all things to the Lord's purposes? Who is the only one who has perfectly viewed everything through the Lord's perspective? Who is the one who aligned everything in their life according to the purposes of God? And who alone, even there in the Garden of Gethsemane, as we learned earlier, rested in his Father to take care of the outcome of that which he was about to experience? Only Jesus. This is why, as we read earlier in the text in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we read that Christ is the wisdom of God. Don't you see it? He's the one that's fulfilled all of this. He's fulfilled all of this. Hear this. For you. You have the wisdom of God in Christ Jesus charged to your account. Get to know him. Rest in him. Listen to him. Walk with him. Not a burden to complete. The work is finished. A joy in the overflow of walking with Jesus in his finished work. That's what this is about. Now we're ready to pray. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, would you help us hear this, believe it, and walk in it by your grace. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.